0: I want to take your Bibles. Love for you to do that, of course, and turn with me our sermon text this morning to the Book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter four. We'll continue uh, in a series that is on uh, Hebrews chapters 1 through 6, so that's what we've stated and that's what we've been doing, although it's been a little while uh, because of the Easter emphasis, and then last week we got to hear as uh, Pastor James, who is who is away today, he's slowly, uh, every once in a while, uh, preaching through the book of 1 John, um, maybe once a quarter or something like that, Uh, but our main staple has been the book of Hebrews 1 through 6, and you could really just say, uh, it's kind of an overarching thing, that Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Uh, That's what you can think about for the whole book. If you'd like something simple to wrap our minds around, what is this whole thing about? Jesus is better. We'll try to notice that today. Please look with me at Hebrews. Hebrews is one of the last books. It's near the end of your Bible in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, while the promise of entering His rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 3, For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest." although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. What do you think that means? you think it means this this author doesn't know his Bible? I don't know where that is. No, he, He knows. He knows. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, They shall not enter my rest. Since, therefore, it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, Verse 8, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever, notice the universal language, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from His works as God did from His. And then let me just read verse 11 for now. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Let's pray together. We'll take a brief moment for silence as well. You can pray and then I'll lead us. Father, our Father, we do pray, hallowed be your name. Please help us, please help me not to trust in the arm of man. But Lord, in our weakness, we come to you this morning. We need to have, we need to receive the food from your word more than we need the the potentially wonderful lunch that we might be thinking about or, or the food that we enjoyed together this morning. We thank you for that. Lord, we come now. And we thank you that your word cuts, that it fashions your people to be more like Christ, and that it also wounds and exposes. So, Lord Jesus Christ, have your way among us. Help us, help me, help us that we would actively listen with your help. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, Hebrews chapter 4. And the title this morning could be very simply this, Three Truths from Hebrews 4. Three truths from the teaching of Hebrews 4, and then we want to see what do these truths mean for us in light of Jesus Christ. Three truths from Hebrews chapter 4. Without any delay, let's just jump right in. The first truth is this. It is that the Word of God is living and active. The Word of God is living and active. So, in our passage today, in Hebrews chapter 4, we have a classic statement on the Word of God. We have a classic statement on the Word of God. See it there in verse 12. We read it at the very beginning of the service this morning, but look at it again, Hebrews 4.12. For the Word of God is living and active. Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. As I say here in our text today, which is uh, 13 verses, we have in verse 12 a classic statement on the Word of God. Now you know that not everything is a classic. Just because you love a certain movie doesn't mean that it is actually a classic. Doesn't necessarily mean that that movie is a classic. If, if everything's a classic, then nothing's a classic. There are certain criteria for what defines a classic. Just because you may like a Danielle Steele book or a Rick Warren book, those are not classics. There are certain books that are Classics. There are certain movies that are classics. I think it's safe to say that whether you have the statements of men about Scripture, maybe uh, maybe Martin Luther, here I stand, I can do no other, speaking about the Word of God. He could not deviate from the Word of God in the Protestant Reformation. Whether it be a statement about Scripture from man or from God, from the Bible, this would certainly qualify as a classic. And so that's the first thing that I want us to notice, the first truth that we see is this classic statement on the Word of God. The Word of God is living and active. You know, sometimes with a classic, whether it be a movie or a book, we may think, oh yeah, I know that movie, I know that book. But maybe it is a classic, and maybe we actually don't know what it actually means. Maybe that's the case with this verse. And so secondly this morning, second truth is this. We need to see that this, of course, is not where our passage begins. We need to see this in context. Would you look at verse 1 and then I'll, then I'll give you the second truth here in just a minute. Bear with me. Look at verse 1. We need to understand this famous verse about the Word of God being a two-edged sword. We need to see it in context Hebrews 4.1 Therefore, while the promise of entering His rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Here's truth number two. Truth number two of the three this morning is this, is that we all need rest. Rest. We all need rest, but if we are not careful, we may very well miss God's rest. If we are not careful as believers, do you name the name of Jesus Christ here this morning? Do you say, I'm a believer, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ? We all need rest, but if we are not careful, we may miss rest. God's rest. So we say, we say, go take a nap. Take a vacation. You need some rest. But of course, as you may well know, when the Bible talks about rest, it's not talking primarily at all about a nap or about a vacation. It's talking about a deeper rest. I'll give you a hint. It's like the great... The great, right? We're all made of clay feet. It's like the great St. Augustine said, Oh Lord, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. That's good. 1,700 years ago, St. Augustine, Oh Lord, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless Do you need a nap? I do many times. Do you need a vacation? We all need naps and vacations. God made us as embodied people. God doesn't just care about people's souls. He cares about us body and soul. The Scripture's plain about that. But today in Hebrews 4, not to mention the whole Bible, this rest is a deeper rest. Friend, this is a rest that you can enter today because this is why God has made us. I think Augustine is precisely right. We all need rest. If we are not careful, we may miss God's rest. Verse 2. Verse 2. For good news came to us just as to them but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. He's referencing Numbers chapter 14 and his whole sermon right here in in Hebrews chapter 3 and 4 is based on his text, and his text is Psalm 95. That's where he picks up this, this idea, this word of rest, and so he's He's preaching about Psalm 95 today. And he's referencing Numbers 19 and he's talking about, if you look in verse 2, the good news came to us just as to them. Who's the them? But the message they heard, who's the they heard? It's the people of Israel. Being in church and hearing the Gospel sitting under the preaching of the gospel if it's faithful, whether it be in church or not in church. Hearing the gospel preached regularly does not in any way automatically mean that you will enter God's rest. Hey, we are not the first generation that has had good news preached to us. I don't know if you noticed it, but it says good news was preached back then to the people of Israel. But they did not. Unite their hearing with faith. Number three. Number one is this. First truth, the Word of God is living and active. Second truth is this. We all need rest, but we must be careful lest we miss God's rest. And the third truth is this, and it goes hand in hand with number two. The third truth before we dig deeper and before we say, okay, well, so what? The third truth is this. The theme of this chapter to which we must pay careful attention is rest. The theme of this chapter to which we must pay careful attention is rest. So just notice this with me. Please notice this. Verse 3, Hebrews four 3. For we who have believed Enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God what? God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore, verse 6, it remains for some to enter it, to enter what? to enter God's rest. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. He's he's bringing together so many scriptures here. Uh, this is Hebrews four, but really, you know, the chapter divisions are not always helpful. Hebrews three and four go together. What he's doing in Hebrews three and four is he's preaching a sermon based on Psalm ninety-five. If you're paying careful attention, I hope you are. Look. Look and listen to God's word. He's talking about Genesis chapter two. I've already mentioned, sorry, not to just bog you down with so much information, but he's talking about Israel. He's talking about Numbers 14. They were on the brink of entering the promised land. Listen, that's what was their rest. Their rest back then was God's promised land of Canaan that he had promised to give to them. That they would enter the rest. But so many of the first generation did not believe and so they did not enter rest. And then Psalm 95 comes along and it says there's still a greater rest. There's still a future rest, a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Glance back up at chapter 3. Chapter 3 verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Following Jesus is a community project. Look back up at his text at chapter 3, verse 7. Glance back up, 3, 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, "Today, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways as I swore in my wrath. They shall not enter my rest. You know, this passage today is not to teach us. I think it's probably a misuse of this passage. If I were to get up here and say, this passage is teaching us to observe the Sabbath day. And you better make sure that you keep Sunday as the Sabbath. I do not think that's the main thrust of this passage. Partly because we know from the Gospels that Jesus Christ is Lord of the Sabbath. Matthew chapter 12. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. It does say in Genesis chapter 2 that on the 7th day God what? God rested from his works. And we are to enter into that rest how Hebrews 4:10 Hebrews 4:10 by in a sense in a sense imitating God listen by resting from our works. Rest from your works especially in any way if it's to make yourself right with God but no, God rested from His works, and even so, believers rest from their works. They enter into the true Sabbath rest, into Jesus Christ, who is Lord of the Sabbath. Let me repeat these three truths again, and then here we go. Thank you for staying with me. The Word of God is living and active. We all need rest, but if we are not careful, we may miss God's rest. And the theme of this chapter to which we must pay careful attention is rest rest. Look at verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Let me ask you this morning, so what? Based off of what we've heard, based off of this passage, so what? Answer. These are not just words. This is what I'm telling you to do, Crossway Church. Fear and strive. Fear and and strive. I did the most basic of research and I found 10 of the most common phobias. I wonder if you could guess them. By the way, when you think about fear, when you think about a phobia, do you think, do we typically think that's a good thing or a bad thing, a phobia? I think we would typically say a phobia is not a good thing. A fear, an irrational fear perhaps, a phobia is not a good thing. I looked up ten of the most common phobias. An intense fear of spiders and other arachnids. An intense fear of snakes. An intense fear of heights. Nobody has to acknowledge. We'll share afterwards. We'll circle up and share afterwards. An intense fear of flying. An intense fear of dogs. An intense fear of thunder and lightning. Here's some of the words if you want the big words. Um, Arachnophobia. Ophidiophobia. Acrophobia. Aerophobia. That's the flying one. Aerophobia. Cynophobia. That's the fear of dogs. C-Y-N. Cynophobia. Astrophobia. That's the fear of thunder and lightning. Uh, Trypanophobia. An intense fear of injections. Um, an intense fear of social interactions, social phobia. An intense fear of places that are difficult to escape, sometimes involving a fear of crowded or open spaces, agoraphobia. Misophobia, an intense fear of germs, dirt, and other contaminants. And when we, when we think about these phobias, there's apparently that that's 10 of the most common phobias. We don't think of them typically as a good thing, but let me ask you a question to think about in your own mind. Is there ever a scenario, is there ever a situation in which a person would actually prove themselves to be unhealthy because in that scenario they don't have fear? Does that make sense? Is there ever a situation where a person would actually be kind of sick, that it would, they would actually exhibit some type of sickness because in that particular area they actually don't have fear and that's unhealthy? Maybe we, listen, maybe we would think about uh, you're, you're in an alley and you're, your back's literally up against the wall in an alley. And in, in our imagination, you think about there's a lion or three lions. Uh, you know, if, I don't know. And of course, this breaks down because you're always going to have some people who would say, oh, hey, I wouldn't be afraid there. Oh, great, that's great. That's fantastic. But I think most of us would. And I was walking uh, in my neighborhood on the beautiful trail that the city's developed for us lately. And uh, I had a had a dog coming right at me the other day, and so uh, I could tell his owner, he was loose, and I could tell his owner was trying to to regain control of the dog, and he seemed like it was, pro- he was not so happy, so I tried to bow up and uh, let him know who's boss. And I just want to say, like, that's typically not what I want to do. You know, that's not like, I want to go on a walk and I hope this happens. Uh, that's That's not the typical thing. There are certain situations, and let me get to the point if you don't already get the point. The point is, according to the text, what I'm saying to you is what? Fear and strive. The Word of God is living and active and rest. That's what we're talking about this morning. Let's keep it really simple. This famous passage, this famous passage, the Word of God is living and active. But in context, in context, it's all about rest, Rest, and I'm saying, look at the structure of the text. Look at the structure of the text. The structure of the text is lettuce. Lettuce. Not the kind of lettuce that you eat, but the structure of the text is let us. Look at this with me. Look at the text. The text is what matters. Verse 1, again. Think about this. The structure of the text is lettuce. Therefore, while the promise of entering His rest still stands... Let us what? Let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. To whom is he speaking? Who is being addressed here? He's addressing the church. He's addressing the church, which is composed of professing believers. If you're here today and you're not a believer, we're glad you're here. You need to know that Jesus Christ died and rose again in the place of sinners. And you, like all of us, need to repent of your sins and run to Jesus Christ even now. That being said, this is addressed to believers. Notice again, let us fear, let us fear, lest any of you, church, should seem to have failed to reach it. It is not unhealthy to fear the prospect of not entering God's rest. It is actually precisely a sign, listen to me, it's a sign of health if you have some trepidation before a holy and almighty God. Romans chapter 1 says, in summary fashion, this is the problem with the world and with all of us. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So it's one thing to be afraid as I was on the trail the other day. It's another thing to be afraid in an alley or to be afraid of germs or certain phobias. It is unhealthy and it is a sign of self-centeredness and the deep nature of our rebellion and sin to not fear God. The happiest thing in the world is for a Christian to fear God. God created us to know Him and to love Him and to fear Him and to walk with Him as Amazing grace says, "'Tis grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved." No, this this is a healthy type of fear. Do you have this fear? Do you have this Hebrews 4-1 type of fear? Second Corinthians 13-5 says, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourself. There's nothing wrong with examining yourselves. You see, in Christ... Because Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In Christ, we do not have to be worried. We certainly don't have to be sinfully worried. No, we can have assurance. Please hear me. Through Jesus Christ and through His perfection, through His righteousness, we can have assurance that does not exclude having a healthy fear. What is he saying in verse 1? He's saying, I am concerned, deeply concerned, lest any of you. Oh, and by the way, this whole thing is premised on the word today. And that's today as well. He says, I am deeply concerned lest any of you should fail to reach the goal. And what is the goal? To enter God's rest. The goal is not a vacation. The goal is not a nap. The goal is to have, I'm telling you today, I'm telling you, a peace that is beyond comprehension through Jesus Christ, a peace and an inexpressible and glorious joy through knowing God through Jesus Christ, who died and bled and was buried and rose again for sinners. Everyone who will repent and believe He's coming again. No, we can enter God's rest now. I'm telling you this morning, church, fear and strive. Remember, what's the the so what? That's the takeaway. Fear and strive. The structure of this passage is let us. Verse 1, let us fear. Verse 11. Verse 11, look at the text with me. Let us, right? If that's it's corny, if that helps you remember it, then remember it, okay? Because I'm actually going to add another lettuce here in a minute. Let us verse one. Let us verse eleven. Fear, strive. Secondly, Hebrews four eleven. Let us therefore. What's the therefore? Therefore. Well, Hebrews 4 8. Hebrews 4 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, why, Joshua? What's that all about? That's after God. Listen, that's after God saved them, delivered them from bondage, physical bondage, physical slavery to the Egyptians. God delivered them. He saved them. He brought them out with a mighty hand because He's the God who saves. And he said, I'm not just going to leave you in neutrality. God doesn't leave us in neutral. He says, I'm bringing you to a place. I'm bringing you to a place. That's the promised land. If Joshua had given them rest in the promised land, God would not have spoken of another day later on, which he did in Psalm 95. So then, listen to this good news. Listen to this good news. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Jesus is the greater Joshua. Jesus is the greater Joshua and Jesus brings his people without fail into a much greater promised land. So what? Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. you see that in verse 11? Does that strike you weird at all? when he says, let us strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience, could you not translate that as maybe, like, let us work really hard to achieve the goal of rest? If you wrestle with the text at all, that's a little interesting, isn't it? Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. The author of Hebrews is not not teaching that we are saved by works. He is saying, Jesus is greater than Joshua. Joshua, believe and stay with Jesus. Stay with Jesus. Let us fear. Let us strive. Let us hold fast. Verse 14, look at verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us. There it is again, right? Let us hold fast our confession. Or how about Hebrews chapter 10? Let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Why? So we can be a bunch of legalists and the pastor can say you should be here every time the doors are open. Listen to me, Hebrews 10. Let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Why? Because of Hebrews 3.13. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So, you could actually multiply the lettuces here. Let us fear. Let us strive, verse 11. Let us hold fast, verse 14. By grace, let us hold fast. He will hold me fast. So, if you want to know what the whole Bible says about rest, here it is in like 30 seconds Genesis chapter 2. God rested on the seventh day. And then God brought Israel out of bondage to Egypt, and he said, I'm going to give you rest in the promised land but they failed because that was never intended to be the ultimate rest. And then here in Hebrews chapters 3 and 4, he says we can enter God's rest and you read Revelation and there's a future rest. But listen to me, Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says this today. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find, you will find, mark it down, rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30 Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. So as we close, there's this famous verse. And it's a verse that maybe we know as children. Really, it is a verse that every Christian should know. Verse 12. It is a verse that every Christian should know. It's a classic statement on the Word of God. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And if we know that verse, then we may think, well, that's a great verse. It's talking about the, the power of the Bible and how good the Bible is. And, and on first thing, you just have to see, yes, it's talking about the Bible, but it's talking about God's, God's speech, God's breath. The Word of God. God speaks in His Son and God speaks in the Scriptures. But I want you to look at verse 13. No creature is hidden from His sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. This two-edged sword, verse 12, this Word of God. It's not only something that we learn maybe as children and we think, that's great about the Bible. This speaks to the fact that God sees all and God knows all and He is able to judge even those who say that he, they are His people. By God's grace, I've been a Christian for many years and for most of those years I've been praying Psalm 139. And Psalm 139 is all about God's omniscience. God's omniscience. He knows all things. I've been been praying that psalm, particularly the end. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. J.I. Packer helped me a few years ago so much. I've been praying that psalm over and over again. Search me, O God, and know my heart. He says, open the Bible, read the Bible, and that's when God is searching you. How are we going to make it to the end? How are we going to persevere? How are we, not just you, not just me, how are we going to persevere to the end? Because those who endure to the end will be saved by God's grace. We will do it when the word of God is central, 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 central. The omniscience of God. He knows everything. My friend, the fact that God knows everything for you may not be good news if you're here this morning apart from Christ. He knows everything about you. And His word is a double-edged sword that brings judgment and salvation. Remember Hebrews 4:13 No creature is hidden from his sight all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him who is a fatherly grandfather who forgives everybody that's not what it says to the eyes of him to whom we must give account let's pray together Lord help us to recognize that we will give an account to you that you are our creator And therefore, you call us to account. You will not let us go unchecked in our sinful rebellion. And help us as believers to come back frequently to who you are, to your character, to your attributes. Help the ladies meeting tomorrow night as the ladies consider you from Scripture and your attributes. Lord, help us to know that you are omniscient, that you know all things And help us to hide ourselves in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.